Amen. Amen. Have a seat and good morning. Uh, let's give the Lord a praise this morning. How was the worship? Amazing. Leading us in the presence of the Lord. Thank you so much. Amazing, amazing. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship Tomball. If this is your first time here, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at our Tomball campus. And let me just say, it is an honor, an honor for you to join us this morning. If you have a Bible, get to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be, Acts chapter 9. And this is actually what my favorite section in, uh, in the book of Acts. We get to see the radical conversion of Paul in this section, this, this transformative person that moved to transform the world uh, was saved in this moment. So Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to start, um, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read for us, I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue with the word. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this, but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he might be found, so that any, uh, if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am the Lord Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, so that they led him by the hand and by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to a street called Straight. In the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may, might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many a about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, thank you so much for transformed lives. Lord, thank you that you are a God of change. You are a God who doesn't leave us as we are and leave us to do as we're doing, but God, you change us from the inside out. And for Lord, some of us, that is a gradual process over a lifetime. And for some of us, there are instantaneous moments that you bring into our life that lead us to change. And so Lord, I thank you for both of those. And Lord, I pray this morning, as we look at what it looks like to be changed radically by you, um, I pray this morning that you would radically change us here. There are some of us that do not know you, Jesus, so Lord, I pray for a Damascus Road type moment where you shock us awake. And Lord, I know there are some of us in this room that um, have friends, and those friends of ours, we feel like they are too far gone. 
Lord, I pray that um, you would open their hearts and bring them to you. So Lord, I know we're in a lot of different places this morning, but Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would open our eyes that we might see you afresh and walk the world, walk in this world the way you call us to. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible is a book of radical change, of radical transformation. And as you look at the stories of scripture, what you see are not people that are just living their own way, doing their own thing, that God uh, just pulls to do his thing. What you see are dramatic shifts in scripture. You see that with the person of Abraham. Abraham was living his own life, going his own way in Genesis, and God pulled him in a new direction on his mission. You see the same with the life of Moses. Moses is living his own life, doing his own thing. He is herding sheep, and then God, in a moment, shocks him awake and sends him on a new mission. What you see throughout Scripture is that God intervening in people's lives and transforming them for his greater purposes. You see that all throughout Scripture, and you see that all throughout history. You see a God of radical transformation who reaches into the hearts of people and makes them no longer who they used to be, makes them entirely new. And he does it in shocking ways all throughout history. One of the most amazing stories that I know personally, uh, no, no, no personally, but I've read personally, is from a man named, um, named Isaac uh, Newton. Newton was a man who was a slave trader. He was a man that wasn't a spiritual leader at all. He was born in London in 1725. He was the only child and, and captain of a church-going woman, uh, of a, a child of a sea captain and a, and a church-going woman. And his mother taught him to read the Bible, but, but he left that. He started chasing a woman named Mary when he was 19 years old. He started traveling with her and he fell victim to a, a gang. And they forced him to come and be part of a ship crew that was, um, there was a slave trading ship and, and Newton's spirit was broken and God seemed far away from him. And later Newton was transferred to another ship and he became involved in the brutal 18th century slave trade, the work that, that was horrific and cost many humans their lives. And he became known as someone who had wild behavior. He ran headlong into it. He was, became an alcoholic. Uh, he was almost drowned, falling off a ship during a party. He was mocking the faith. And then he had a turning point. In 1748, uh, Newton was aboard a slaving ship called the Greyhound. And the ship was in bad shape. And during a violent storm, it began to fall apart and take on water. And a crew member was swept, the crew members were swept off board And Newton in that moment knew that he may not survive. And he asked this question, would God still be willing to forgive even me? In that moment, he recalled the the stories of scripture that his mom had told him. And he asked God for help that if he survived the storm, he would live a transformed life. It didn't happen overnight, but Newton's life slowly began changing until he learned to pray and he found friends alongside of him. And eventually he gave up his role in the slave trade and stopped sailing for a living. Instead, he, married, um, he, he transitioned his life and he later became a pastor where he helped lead people to God. And he also became active in the movement to abolish slave trade when the prime minister appointed a committee. You see a man of radical 
transition. And he wrote a song that um, you may be familiar with. It's called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the radical transformation that God can have in a person's life to move them from darkness to light, from move them from chasing one part of life to a completely different way of life. And that's what we see here in the, in the writings of Acts in the person of the Apostle Paul. We see a man that was running far from God, that God moved in grace and brought him near. One theologian said this, without question, the story of Saul's conversion is one of the most important events, if not the most important event that Luke records in Acts. William Barclay says, in this passage, we have the most famous conversion story in all of history. And this is why it's my favorite passage in Acts. Because you see a man who's running against God being transformed by the grace of God. And that's what every one of us needs. And so here's here's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at someone who's too far gone, but the power of God's to change lives. We're gonna see someone who's too hard to help, but the power of God to overcome through true friendship. And we're gonna see someone that's too passionate to contain the power of fresh faith. Too far gone, too hard to help, and too passionate to contain. We're gonna look at the conversion of the person of Paul. Here's what it says at the beginning of Acts chapter one. It says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked for letters of the synagogues in Damascus so that he, may, that he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now he went on his way and approached Damascus. And what we see, first of all, is a man who in many ways is too far gone. The last person you would ever expect to become a Christian. We saw a couple chapters ago, he held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. He oversaw or was a participant, at least passively, in the first martyrdom. And we see him, him kind of taking that persecution to a new level. He, he asked for letters from the high from the high priest so that he could go find anyone that's a member of the way. Now that was, that word the way is to describe Christians. They called themselves followers of the way, the way of Jesus. And he's getting letters to go oppose and persecute these people. And he says, I'm gonna go grab any of those people that are following Jesus. If you ever see anyone that is uninterested in the Christian faith, it is this man. He has no desire to follow Jesus. He has every desire to persecute Jesus. Do you know those people in your own life where they seem too far gone? There seems there's no reason for this person to actually believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe they fall into some of these categories. They're, They're too bad for God to forgive. They're too smart for God to convince. They're too lost for God to find. Or they're too opposed for God to embrace. Do you know those people can, think for a moment, who in your mind is too far gone? There's no way they would ever become a Christian. And think about yourself. What objections do you have to the person of Jesus Christ? What reasons can you put in there and say, I don't know if Jesus is real. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if, if God could actually convince me or convince these people that I know in my life. Who are those 
people. And I'll, let me just tell you this, to push back against that. If you have object, objections against Christianity, the first is this, um, there's no better explanation for the resurrection of Jesus than the, the empty tomb. There's no, there's no better as, uh, explanation for the empty tomb other than the resurrection of Jesus. And we also see a second reality. We see no better explanation for the change in the disciples other than a resurrected Jesus. And most scholars would even say this, there is no good explanation for why a small group of marginalized people in Jerusalem would move to a world-changing movement other than the resurrection of Jesus. See, every person has to come to the reality of Jesus and say, do I believe that this person really did live, really did die, and really did rise? Do I believe that? Because every Christian has a BC moment has a moment when I didn't believe. I was before I became a Christian. No one is born a Christian. Everyone has to come to the moment when they say, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins. I believe this is real. I had to come to this moment. Uh, When I was in seventh grade, I've shared this before, but when I was in seventh grade, I came to the belief that the Bible was just a bunch of made up stories in order to help people live a better life. That was my viewpoint on the scripture. It was basically just kind of morality tales. Uh, and, And no one told me that. No one informed me that. That's just what I came up with on my own. But over time, God moved in and started breaking down my barriers to faith. See, every one of us has these barriers to faith. Every one of us at some point was too far gone. We've been spending time running from Jesus, but that doesn't mean that God is done with us. It doesn't matter if you're uninterested. God is interested in you. And we see this moment when God breaks in to the life of Saul. He had no desire to follow Jesus. He is opposing the work of Jesus, but then Jesus breaks in and says, but I'm not done with you. Verse three, now as he went on his way and he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He knew that he was in the wrong. And see, every one of us has a moment when we're confronted with the reality of our sin. Every one of us. And for Paul, it was this flash of light moment. It was, it was this voice from heaven saying, you are going the wrong, di- wrong direction. Why are you persecuting me? Which is a dramatic moment. But we've all been in that moment when we are caught, when we are lost, we know that we are lost in sin. I, I have a couple moments in my own life. Uh, one of them was when I was probably seven or eight years old. I was at my friend Troy's house and we were playing in his front yard. And we were playing this game where we had a stick and we were throwing it into a bush and it stuck in it like a sword. It was almost like throwing you know, tomahawks at a, at a thing, but we didn't have tomahawks, we just had the stick. We were throwing it into the bush and it was so much fun, but unfortunately he threw it one time and it hit the top of the bush, skidded and went right through the glass window. Boom, and we just heard this crash and then he and I just both looked at each other like, oh no. And then we hear from inside the house, Troy! And we're like, oh no, that's Troy's mom. <laughs> and I looked at him and go like, I'm sorry, buddy, I gotta go. And you just see this look of terror on his face. I go, and I go start going to my bike and she goes, Kevin, you need to go home. I'm like, ma'am, I was already there, right? And I, kinda, I go my way and you know that moment, like I am, I'm done. 
I had one of those later on in life uh, when I was uh, as a youth pastor. Uh, we were um, we were promoting this silly event uh, in youth ministry for kids to come to it, and we went over to the high school and we thought a funny way to promote the event uh, is while kids are driving their way to school uh, for my friend to dress up in a gorilla suit and me to dress up in a banana suit and for me to run away from my friend and he traced me in the gorilla suit. It was very, very funny until the principal came out and he's like, what are y'all doing? And I'm like, I'm like, Zach, we got to run. And he, <laughs> and he was the wise person. He says, no, 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 we're going to go have a conversation with the principal. And I just remember feeling mortified. I'm, I'm like in my mid-20s going, I'm going now to the principal's office again. Like, like, how do you feel in that? There's that moment when you're confronted in your sin and you know, you know you are wrong. You've come to the end of yourself. And that's what Jesus does in every one of our lives at some point. He, said, he breaks in through the walls and says, you are not going the right direction. And he breaks in in grace to pull us back to him. God does it all the time. Michael Phelps, tremendous swimmer, multiple time Olympian. But after the London Games of 2012, uh, Phelps was not in a good place. He thought he was done with swimming and instead took a, took a leave of absence and, and began living a reckless life. He got caught smoking marijuana and drunk driving. And the old issues that he had struggled with in his life, of his parents' divorce, and he'd become enraged against his father. And they began to resurface in his own life and sent him into a deep depression. And it was at that moment, um, an NFL football player named Ray Lewis an outspoken Christian stepped into his life. He said to him, this is when we fight. This is when the real character shows up. Don't shut down. If you shut down, we all lose, Lewis told Phelps. And Lewis convinced Phelps to go to rehab, which he was reluctant to do. And while he was in rehab, Lewis gave Michael Phelps the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And when he began reading the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, change started to develop in Michael Phelps. He says, he turned, the book turned me into believing there's a power greater than myself and there's a purpose beyond this that has, God has put me on the earth. See, no one is too far gone. There is power in the person of Jesus Christ. There is power in the gospel to change all of us. No one is too far gone. Warren Wearsby says, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. We, if we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. I want you to take a moment right now and I want you to answer the question, this question. Who do I believe is too far gone? They've run too far for God to save. They're too hard-hearted for God to break in. Who in your mind is too far gone? I want you to even take the risk. If you're taking notes or you've got your phone to take notes, I want you to even text that person's name, or don't, don't text them, uh, write that. I think you're too far gone. My pastor said, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> write down that person's name. I want you to hold on to that for a moment. Because they're all, we all have people in our lives who are like, there's no way God can break in. We see a second turn in this. 
Not only does God break through the people that are too far gone, secondly, we see the power of God to help. See, when, when Jesus breaks into Paul's life and shows them that he is real, he brings in other people to help Paul. And this is the amazing thing that God does in the process of salvation. Salvation isn't just about you and Jesus and Jesus and you. What God often does in life is bring other people into the lives of those people that he's saving to help them grow, to help them in life. And that's where we see a couple new characters come into the story. We see Ananias, verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, which is a great answer. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, and in the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man saying, Ananias, come in and lay hands on him that he might regain sight. And so here's what God's saying. He's saying, I have saved a person. I have, I have moved into a person's life. And Ananias, I'm giving you the amazing opportunity to come alongside and help this person. I mean, what a gift. I mean, what a gift to Ananias. Hey, Ananias, there is someone that I'm working in. I'm changing their hearts from the inside out. I am making them new. And, and you don't even have to go find that person. I am sending you to that person. And he sends him in this moment and he comes alongside. In verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. I've seen him hold the coats of the men that, uh, that, that killed Stephen. I've seen him grab papers to go persecute more Christians. This is not a person I wanna help. This is too hard. This is too hard to move in and help. I don't want to help this person. And then he says this, go, for he is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel. Go, He is my chosen instrument. I'm gonna do something in his life that's completely different. And what I want you to do, Ananias, is I want you to just come alongside. I want you to help. See, God all the time will meet you where you are to take you where he needs you to be. He will meet us where we are and give us what we need to take us to the next place. That's what Tony Evans says. He says, God will meet you where you are in order to take you where he wants you to go. And so God will save people and then he will put people in their lives to come help. And he says, and I need you to go over to him. I need you to pray for him. I need you to lay hands on him and heal him. He knows that you're coming. And I says, I, I don't know. Are there people in your life that you feel like, okay, Lord, even that person I just wrote down, you told me to text, I'm not gonna text him. Are there people in your life you're like, hey, you know what, I I would help this person, but it's gonna be complicated. It's gonna be relationally complicated. It's gonna be emotionally complicated. It's gonna be inconvenient to go and be a part of this person's life. Ananias is is afraid that if he exposes himself as a Christian, Saul's gonna take him and, and imprison him or even kill him. Like, I don't wanna go help this person. It's too awkward. Have you been there? But let me just tell you, God uses people to help people. He does it all the time. He uses friends or acquaintances to help people grow. There's a second person that comes into Paul's life later on in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 29. 
Because Paul is saved and he does start doing some great things. Verse 26 says, and when he came, um, he had come to Jerusalem, Paul came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he has seen the Lord and spoke to him at Damascus. He, he basically said, hey, he's okay. He needed men to come alongside him and say, you know what, he's not as crazy as all of you think. We all need people like that to step in as a good friend. There is power in biblical friendship for people to come alongside and say, I'm gonna help you where you are and help you get to where you need to go. C.S. Lewis had this. C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor, did not believe in Jesus, but he had a buddy who was also a professor at Oxford and they would have these long talks. They would uh, drink beer and they would smoke cigars and they would talk about trees and mythology and God. And Tolkien would walk alongside C.S. Lewis over and over and over again and address his objections. In fact, you can read some of these in their letters. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote um, uh, the Lord of the Rings series, in case you don't know who he is. C.S. Lewis wrote, was a prolific writer, but it was after he became a Christian that we get the books that we probably know of today, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, as well as many other great works. But he had an objection And he would go on these long walks with Tolkien. And he says this, now what what Dyson, one of the friends, and Tolkien showed me was this, that if I met the idea of sacrifice in a pagan story, I didn't mind it at all. Again, that if I met the idea of a God sacrificing himself, I liked that idea very much and I was moved by it. And the idea of dying and a reviving God similarly moved me. But now the story of Christ was seen as this. It was a true myth. And that was the piece that he missed. He's saying all the mythology out there shows about a a God overcoming, of of sacrificing himself for the sake of others. You see that in all these sorts of myths. And and what Tolkien said is, look, there's truth beyond that that's deep. That longing in your heart to see someone sacrificing themselves for the sake of others, you long for that to be true. It is something stirred in your heart and it is true in Christ. And he needed Tolkien to come alongside and say, this is true, this is true. And as C.S. Lewis is wrestling with his ideas, could Jesus be real? Could this be true? He describes this in his book, Surprised by Joy. He says, you can picture me alone on that night in a room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him I so earnestly did not want to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I love that. He's like, I had these friends that wouldn't let go. I had these friends that came alongside and said, here's the truth about Jesus. Here are your objections. Let's deal with your objections one by one. And let me encourage you. Let me walk beside you. And in time, the gospel sank deep and he was changed. I had this in my own life. 
In college, I was on my own spiritual journey. I had all of these questions about who God was and was he real? And I started going to the, the college pastor and different people and I was like, hey, who, who's out there that could help answer these questions for me? And I went to the University of Texas and so, and, and so all my Aggie friends are like, there, well, there's no Christians there. I don't know how you found, uh, <laughs> found God. Like, that's a great question. And, and, uh, and so I went there and they started, started showing me all these different people. I remember Greg Grooms. He's the leader of the probe ministry. It's an evangelistic, apologetic ministry. And so I would go to Greg Grooms' office and I would sit there in front of him and, and I would say, Greg, I have all these questions. And he had these, these mountains of books, but oftentimes he didn't go to the books. He would just say, let's talk. A man in his 50s or 60s that sat with this 20-year-old and said, hey, what questions do you have? I'm here. Derek Baker, one of the directors of college ministry, all these questions about God and he would he'd take me to coffee. Let me help you grow, let me help you grow. Cheryl Fletcher, the director of college ministry who encouraged me along the way. See, every Christian that's growing needs other Christians to come alongside to say, hey, I, I, I've been where you are. Let me help take you where you need to go. That's the beauty of Christian community. And lastly, we see Paul do this dramatic transition. Not only had he come to faith, he was too far gone. He was one that for many thought was too hard to help. But then we see this man with this passion, this conviction to go against Jesus. Jesus, in his great humor, turns that passion in his direction. It's like a spout that is spewing in the wrong direction that, that God just goes, they're gonna turn it this way and it's gonna go amazing. That same passion, that same energy, God grabs it and shifts it in a way that's gonna honor him. It's absolutely beautiful. God takes, can take your passions and your direction and your heart and turn it in a way that's effective for him. And we see that in the person of Paul in this transition. Verse 19, it says this, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard of it were amazed. And they said, is not this the man who made havoc on Jerusalem and those who were calling upon this name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest, but, but Saul increasingly all the more in strength confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ and Saul escapes from Damascus. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That was a major change of events, right? He's been killing Christians. Now the Jews are saying, we gotta take this guy out. But their plot became known to Saul and they were watching him at the gates that, he might, that they, they might be ordered to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? This man who is persecuting Christians, he's like, I believe in this Jesus. And he starts going, proclaiming the gospel. And they're like, this is getting hot and heavy. We're gonna lower you in a basket so you can escape. Isn't that amazing? A man that is too passionate to contain. See, the Christian life is not meant to be made of passive participants. It's made to be made of passionate contributors. Not passive participants, 
but passionate contributors. See, I don't know where you are in your Christian faith, but I see here's what tends to happen sometimes. And you know this familiar phrase that familiarity breeds contempt. Another way to describe it is this closeness can bring staleness. Have, has your Christian faith become stale? Where there was passion at the start, but that slowly begins to wane. Do you believe that the same God that saved Paul could save your friend? Let's participate. <laughs> Do you believe that the same God that saved Paul could save your friend? Yes. Do you believe the same Jesus that transformed slave traders could transform your neighbor? Do you believe that the same God who set the stars in the heavens could transform the lives of your prodigal son or daughter? Absolutely. See, God is still in the business of transforming lives by his radical grace. He has done it, he continues to do it, and he can do it today. One of the most challenging passages I read or, or excerpts I read was from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He, would, he, would, he was known as the Prince of Pre- Preachers and he also um, challenged preachers, young preachers in their preaching. And he, he says this, you must believe in the power of the message to save people. You may have heard the story of one of our first students, Spurgeon says, who came to me and said, I've been preaching now for some months and I do not think that I've con- had a single conversion. I said to him, and do you expect that the Lord is going to bless you and save souls every time you open your mouth? No, sir, he replied. Well, then, I said, that is why you need to not, you're not getting any souls saved. If you had believed that the Lord would have given him that blessing, you would have seen a change. He says, I caught him very nicely. He says, do you believe that when you have a conversation with someone, you might be able to transform their life, not because of your words, because of the God who sent you there. Do you believe that God has the power to change the lives of the people you interact with, that that those people that you interact with aren't just happenstance, they're divine appointments, that God is moving all of history towards his great purpose, and he has put you in that neighborhood, he has put you at that office building, he's put you in that family, that crazy weird family that he put you in, a lot of fun there, and he puts you there so that you would represent him, and maybe, maybe those who are lost will be found. Maybe those who are far from God will be brought near to God. Maybe, Maybe the reason we don't see more change in the people around us is not a problem with God. But maybe, maybe some of us are more like Ananias. Man, it's going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. I don't know that I want to step in to that situation. Jesus had this word to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your labor, your work, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles, and they're not, 
and I found them to be liars. And you've persevered in patience and have labored for my name's sake. He says, I know this church. You, you have people that love the Lord and are doing great things. And he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Have some of us become so comfortable in the Christian bubble that we forget what it's like to be lost? Have some of us become so comfortable in the Christian life that we're busy sheltering from the world and not making an impact in the world? See, those, those are the people that God uses to change lives. It's the power of the gospel and God allows us to be a part. And so I'm gonna give you a challenge right now that we're gonna participate in right this minute. And this is like, for me, flashbacks to like youth group, okay? So, and I've never done it in a church setting. I've never done it in a church setting. But I asked you to maybe write down or mentally make a note of that person or those people that are too far gone. And so I'm gonna ask you, will you get in groups of three or four right now in this room with people you don't know? And would you be willing to pray for those people? And you don't have to share their name. You can be like, it's her. You know, you don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. But would you get together in groups of three or four, whatever you're comfortable with, and spend a few moments, the band's gonna play a little bit of music, and you may get with some people that you don't know, and that's wonderful to have this person that doesn't know your friend praying for your friend. How great is that? Why don't you spend a few moments, get together in groups of three or four, and I'll transition us in a moment, and pray for those people that God may have put on your heart that are too far gone. And maybe you don't have someone. Well, you're gonna be in groups of three or four. Maybe they have someone that you're gonna pray for. So take a moment, make a new friend right now, and pray. Transition us a little bit. Let me just say, first of all, um, you got someone to go to lunch with later on. That's which is beautiful. Pull us together. It's impossible. And I want to close our service this way. Um, as we are praying for people in our own lives that you've put there that may be too far gone, 
Um, sometimes praying for others uh, maybe reveals something that's going on in our own heart, in our own life. Um, maybe the person that is too far gone isn't just that other person. Maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe there's sin in your own heart and own life that you actually haven't dealt with, a rejection of God or or challenges to faith that you actually haven't really walked through personally. So to close our service, we we want to be able to pray for you. So our prayer team is going to come forward and as as they do, let me encourage you, if you have never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you're, you're relying on something else to save you. Let me just tell you, that thing will never save you. Paul was exceeding in his, in his own little corporate ladder. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was high on the list. He was rising in fame and popularity. And he came to a point where he realized, this isn't it something else. It's faith alone and Christ alone. And so for some of you, I'm praying for another person is just really revealing that God has never actually saved you. You're not believing in Jesus. You're believing in something else. So come forward. We want to pray that you might have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. So that's one person. Others of you, you you have... um, that prayer time wasn't quite enough. There's some people in your life that you really want to spend time praying for, and we want to pray for that person alongside of you. Um, whether it's a family member or a friend uh, that is far from the Lord, we want to pray with you alongside us. So come to our prayer team, and we want to pray for you alongside that. For others of you, there's a, a particular healing that you need. Um, maybe the reason that person is too far gone is because you will never forgive them. They hurt you too bad. They were too wrong. Um, Let me just tell you that forgiveness is not something that you can muster up. Jesus purchased forgiveness on the cross. And the power that Jesus has to forgive you is the same power that can move through you to forgive them. And so maybe they want to come alongside and pray with someone for forgiveness the ability to move and forgiveness of that person. So if that's you, I invite you to come forward. I'm going to close us in prayer. Transition as God would have you do, and our worship team is going to lead us and close us out. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you pursue us even when we're not pursuing you. That you run after us even when we're not running after you. Thank you, Lord, that none of us are too far gone. Lord, I lift up each person here that you would draw them close, draw them near. I lift up each person that we prayed for that you would be moving in their hearts and minds right now and drawing them to yourself. And Lord, I pray that in the coming weeks and months we might see lives radically changed by the power of your gospel as you bring prodigals back to you. Lord, help us to be people of reconciliation. Thank you for saving us. Now send us. So you want to be praying.